If you have your Bibles, will you join me in 1 Samuel chapter 20? Uh, we're looking at two stories this morning, the story of uh, David and Jonathan and a covenant that they made and how, how peculiar that covenant was. It shows a divine allegiance. And then we're looking at the, uh, Matthew's part in this story. Matthew was a vital part in the story of the birth of Jesus. We're looking at Matthew's reaction and how his, his uh, actions were shifted through God's influence, showing um, that sometimes we need divine guidance in that. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 12 to 17. Now, of course, we're picking up mid-story. The character Saul is king of Israel. Um, because of some things that he did, God has withdrawn his favor from Saul, his presence from him. And then in doing so, Saul doesn't act correctly in some of the situations. And he ends up uh, eventually pursuing David, trying to take his life. But David was becoming a national hero. He, he, was, he was stepping into the place with God's blessing and favor to overturn and, and destroy the Philistine warrior Goliath, Right? Uh, and David made friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan was put in a difficult space where he had to choose allegiance. Jonathan, the king's son, possibly taking on the throne of the entire nation, a powerful place, a place of privilege, privilege and power, made a great decision. In verse 12 of 1 Samuel 20, Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord... The God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send your word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, but even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Wow, what an action by Jonathan. What an action to say, I'm aligning with you, David, and not with my dad. Saul ended up reigning as king for 42 years. Jonathan grew up in the, as a king's son. He knew this position and what it had, the power that the king had. And rightly so, most times that then passed to one of the king's son. You see, even in the times of Jesus, King Herod eliminated some of his own children because he was fearful that they were gunning for his throne. There was no greater position than to be king of the nation. The position of power attempted King Saul to take things into his own hands when he should have waited on the Lord's timing and the Lord's blessing through the prophet Samuel because Saul did not. And he says, I can't wait any longer. I can't wait any longer for Samuel to get here and, and ask the blessing or ask the Lord if I should do this. And he took it into his own hands. God was displeased with Saul and withdrew his favor from him. 
But he directed, God directed Samuel to anoint the next king. Scripture recalls for us the unlikely choice as Samuel asked Jesse of Bethlehem. Do you remember Bethlehem and Jesse from last week? You remember that story how, how uh, Jesse was the son of Obed and Obed the son of Boaz and Ruth? And how that story of Ruth last week with Naomi illustrated for us the power of hope, reminding us that God does have a plan and a plan for us that gives us a hope and promise. So Samuel goes into Bethlehem and Jesse was fearful of Samuel. He was a mighty person in the nation, sometimes causing down blessings on people or sometimes saying, no, you don't have the blessing of God. So he was fearful. Do you come with God's favor or not? And Samuel says, I come with God's favor. Peace. I come in peace. He said, I've been directed to look at your sons, Jesse, because one of them, God's going to anoint as the next king. So Jesse rounds up the boys. He gives a big whistle, and the boys come out. And surely Samuel sees the first one and says, this guy looks pretty physically put together. So he was beginning to think like the nation did when they chose Saul, who was a head taller than everyone else. This has to be our king. And he lines them up, and he goes, God says, no, not that one. The Lord looks at more than the exterior. He looks at the, the heart when he makes those judgments. So he lines them up. One, two, three, no, 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 four, five. All of them that were there. No, seven of them. They're none there. And Samuel's like, um, Jesse, do you have any more? Do you have any more children? And he says, I've got one more. One more that's out in the fields watching the sheep. The lowly shepherd, the youngest, and not the biggest. That's probably why he was watching the sheep while the others played some, some games, right? They were playing football. Maybe. Maybe not. National football. Soccer. That's what it's called. While David was out watching the sheep, go get the youngest and bring him. And he stood before God's prophet, and the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. He's the one. When God's prophet announces the next anointed king in David, and God removed his presence from King Saul, things became unstable for Saul and those around him. You see, David was a talented man. He was able to watch the sheep, protecting them from wild animals. He could use a slingshot, right? But he also could move over into the realm of music and sit down and play the harp, which soothes the king. He could knock down a giant with faith. David was a talented, talented man. His heart was right with the Lord. And Saul was disturbed. At least twice we know that Saul tried to pin David to the wall with his spear while David was in his company. But David was elusive and got away. Leading them to the scripture that I read to you and Jonathan saying to him, he had Jonathan, who had so much to gain as the king's biological son. He says, I'm placing my allegiance not in my gain, but in God's plan to choose and support David, the king anointed by God. So I read this story, and I think about the application for us. And one of the applications is that we are to choose God's path over our desire. Even if we can get into the reaction, if we can get to the point in the reaction is what I'm contemplating, 
Are my actions that I want to do, are they pleasing to you, God? Is my desire the desire of God pouring through me, or is it generated from the desires of my flesh? So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to pray, asking, Heavenly Father, how do I love like you in this situation? If I have to choose, what is the divine choice? What's the choice that goes along with your will and your plan? How do I love like you in this situation? On this journey to Christmas, I hope to recognize daily opportunities where we can experience the power of God's love flowing through us. Man, that shaped Penny's day. She'll remember that shopping experience the rest of her life. When someone just says, I, I'm, I feel led to do this. So what if we were just opening ourselves to say, God, we want to participate with your divine love giving. It might be. And it might involve finances. And it should involve finances. If you exchange gifts at Christmas time, like, like a present for your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your spouse, it should be divinely motivated with love. If you're doing it out of obligation, you don't, just, you don't have it quite right. <laughs> I got to get something for my wife because I know she's going to get me at least two or three good things. I got to get out there and get something. Hold on. Time out. Think about why. Why you're giving gifts. Right? Why do we practice gift giving? It's because God first loved us and gave us a son at Christmas time. He's got a plan that involves us giving loves as well. So if we can do this and be aware of that, not just in our giving gifts within our family, but being aware in the community, but this experience of participating with God's love, it builds joy in our lives in the realization of the power of love for us as we become vessels through which God flows and potentially for those who receive it. Let the Christ child's birth guide you in the gifts that you purchase this season, but also in the gifts of service that God leads you to. Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We don't know how that's going to play out. You just don't know. But if we are all together in this, and we say, yeah, I want to participate in that. And the church, those that follow after Jesus say, we want to be vessels where love, God's love can flow through us. Not necessarily what I think is right, right? Because John the Goodness says, I like being king. I get to order up what I want. I get, to, I get to go out to battle when I want. I get to, you know, do whatever I want. I'm the king. I'm the ultimate authority. Instead of being and saying what I want, and we become the authority, we say, God, I'm willing to let you help me learn how to love like you do. We're placing God on the throne where he should be, and we're moving self to our knees in front of him. This is the journey of discipleship, allowing a divine love to guide our living. When we do so, love will be a great part of our lives because God is love. The devotional moment that the Cole family just reminded us of is that there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts fear out. And, first, and Jesus' birth and his life is the model of our loving response. We love because he first loved us. So the question I pondered then is, am I, are we participating with divine love? So let me just throw some things out there to you, perhaps to build faith and to build encouragement and to say, like, maybe we are. 
and say, maybe we can do it and continue to do this. Right? We're sending 152 shoeboxes with the good news of Jesus. Right? That's good, that's good stuff. Right? We sacrificed our money, what we could have spent maybe uh, on a meal or a meal or two or more, depending on what you put in your shoebox or went out and did that. Some of you do extravagant shoeboxes. That's okay. But it's a sacrifice of time and energy to go bless someone else. Right? 152. Good. God can work through that and bring glory to his name. We baked cookies and delivered them to shut-ins. Sure, sacrifice of time and energy. And then going out and saying, I thought of you. I came to you. How about collecting items for, for expecting mothers or sending a team of servants? They gave up a week. They're giving up a week to help those affected by uh, a hurricane and helping them rebuild. And there are countless individual decisions that are guided by God's holy presence in your lives. Like a kind word today to someone in your house to encourage them, to recognize them for what, who they are and what they're doing. You have the power to let God work through you with a voice of encouragement. Or perhaps it's an obedient act of a child to a parent's instruction where I don't really want to do that. But you wait, I want to honor my parents and do what they say. You let divine, divine allegiance, his love flow through you. Maybe it's a faithful act of planning and cooking a meal. Or the asking of forgiveness. Or the granting of forgiveness. Maybe it's paying someone's rent. So do you desire to participate with the receiving and giving of divine love? Do you want that for your life? Do you want to be touched with God's love? Do you want to be a part of him working through you to share that with other people? Yes and yes. Without a doubt. If you don't want to be in God's love, that is a dangerous spot. You want to be in his love, in the radiance of the Most High, shining in his favor. If you step out of that favor, look out. And then while you're there and you recognize what he has done for us, he says, come follow me. Come, mimic my actions and go and make other disciples. Love is the key. Love is the key. Praise be to God for the opportunity to live for his glory and that our faith is rooted and established in his love. Because you know what? I know I don't always do it right. I got to confess, oh Lord, I'm sorry for my reaction. I'm sorry for the times that I don't represent you well. But God is faithful and he allows you to come back and try again. Are you, uh, can you get an amen for that? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a double amen, amen, amen. Joseph was a righteous man. He needed some divine guidance to fulfill his role in the birth of Jesus. So from the example of Jonathan, Jonathan chose the Lord's anointing on David. He chose the divine path instead of his path. You got that? That's our allegiance to God, the, the foundation, the fountain of love. Let's choose his way. Now, if we choose that way, we're still going to need some guiding along the way. Flip over to Matthew um, chapter 1 for, for hearing how Joseph loved Mary and in the process of figuring this out, needed some divine 
guidance. And I think we'll find that we would probably say amen to that too. I need it. Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Therein lies the conflict for Joseph. Okay? She was found to be with child before they came together. Let's keep reading. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, praise be to God, he was, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So I want you to think and realize that the time span for this may have been a week, maybe days, maybe, uh, I don't know, a month. I don't think it was an instant. All right? It was something that Joseph had to process, think about, and wrestle. It was a tough situation because it says in verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, it's almost like God says, I see it working. I see Joseph mulling on this. I'm going to step in because this is so important. This is the fulfillment of prophecy of me coming to save the world. Let me, let me give him some divine guidance. He sent an angel. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and she gave him the name Jesus. I read that uh, and, I, and, I, and I think about my life in all of our lives and in the process of making decisions. There are times where we know that the decision that we made in the past was right on and we thank God for that and say, oh God, thank you. That was the decision that was in your will. And I also know, in looking at my past, that there are times and decisions that I or Tracy and I have made together as a family that say, ah, if we could go back knowing what we know now and kind of redo that, we would have, we would have, we see now, God, that that wasn't necessarily your will. Right? But we can't go back, can we? We can only go forward and learn from the back past. We want to look forward much more than we look back. The line from the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. It comes to mind as a guiding prayer for us when faced with difficult decisions. Matthew, in his participation in the birth of Jesus, he was put in a tough place. The engagement decision was a legally binding decision. After a proposal was made, Joseph proposed to Mary and said, I'd like you to be my wife. Then the dads and the moms got involved, and a price was established by the parents of the couple to seal the deal. The marriage price was seen as compensation given to the father of the prospective bride for the loss of a worker. Sure, I'll give you permission to marry my daughter, but this is how it's going to affect my family. And then there's negotiation. Once the negotiation is agreed upon and settled, then... The engagement is official, and they wait until the marriage. 
but it was legally binding. The problem that Joseph faced was that he had limited knowledge of the miraculous conception that had taken place in Mary. In Mary. His, his reaction upon hearing that his bride-to-be was pregnant, his reaction indicated that he thought that there was another man involved. His actions prior to God's intervention revealed this perception. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. How does that go along with him being righteous? Joseph's righteousness is seen in his decision to not publicly disgrace his fiancée because he was displaying mercy. Joseph was intending to treat Mary in a way that was contrary to what might have been publicly expected. The outcomes for an engaged woman found to be pregnant to a man, even a man that was not her betrothed, it was not good for her. You can go back and read Deuteronomy 22. If, if Joseph would have said, let's just research this a little bit. Let's ask some questions. If the process for determining her outcome would have taken place publicly, it would have certainly led to Mary being disgraced for all the town to see. The merciful decision of Joseph was to divorce her quietly. The text states that Joseph considered this response and as we would, wrestled over the decision. So let's just time out right here for a second. Let's just live in Joseph's shoes. Have you been there recently? Have you been placed in a situation that, you know what? Either option doesn't sound good. I wish I wasn't placed in a situation. It's so hard. What am I going to do? A situation which changed your perception of how things were going to go. This wasn't my plan. This wasn't Joseph's plan. He had, he had waited. He was in his hometown. He was waiting for that right young woman, that virgin from which he could join together with, make a place for her, bring her to be in their father's home, and live and grow and have children. Oh, the plan was ruined. This is where Joseph was. But Joseph's story reveals God's sovereign leading. I didn't get really the power of this until I was really holding these two stories side by side. We looked at Jonathan, and God used Jonathan to act on behalf of the anointed king, to protect him, to give him a warning, saying, the king's going to kill you if you come over to supper. He did the same thing with Joseph to Mary. The anointed king of kings was in Mary's womb. God's using Joseph to step in and protect her and the baby and to, and to help them get to where they need to be. This is God's sovereign leading. God chose Joseph, a righteous man who knew and feared God, and Mary, a virgin willing to serve the Most High, and allowed them both, when approached by God through an angelic visit, to consider and follow God's will. And in this case, God presented another option that Joseph was not even considering. God influenced Joseph to let divine love overcome his fear. We heard this morning that perfect love does what to fear? Cast it out. Cast it out. Did you hear in Scripture what the angel said to Joseph? Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. God continued to let Joseph know that the Holy Spirit was involved in her pregnancy. Now contemplate that for a while. 
That blows your mind too, right? And Joseph's probably saying, I don't even understand that. But I think I got enough to know that it wasn't another man. Right? And that helped Joseph to get to where he needed to get to. God divinely guided him so that he could participate in divine love. Over the course of the pregnancy, in the early days of Jesus' life, God helped Joseph realize that he was needed to be a helpmate to Mary and give him some specific things to do to understand his role. I think it's worth celebrating that the divine guidance, that with divine guidance, Joseph was obedient. He participated with God's plan. He took Mary home to be his wife. Joseph gave the baby born to Mary the name of Jesus. He says, I got this. I got a name picked out. It's a good thing he also, Mary also had the name. It wasn't like they had to negotiate or bargain because usually wives win that out, right? Um, but this is the name of the baby, Jesus. But Joseph was involved. His role continued to be magnified. As we see how the family's, his family's origin led them to Bethlehem. Joseph led the mule which carried Mary on the journey to Bethlehem. And Joseph led Mary and baby Jesus away from Herod's attempt to kill the newborn king. Praise be to God for his intervention in Joseph's life to help him participate with God's will. How do we apply that? How do we apply that message to us? Well, first of all, I say, Father, help me. Help me to understand how to participate in your will. So I encourage you to pray. Ask that question. Be available. Be available and think about God. To say, God, uh, I'm thinking about you. You're the highest authority I recognize it, so I'm making myself available, right? Saying I need divine guidance in order to display divine allegiance and divine love. Are there any other options for me to consider in this tough situation? Maybe you're in a tough situation. And maybe you want to be like Joseph and say, I just want to walk away from this. I want to wash my hands of it all. But God might say to you, you know, I got another option for you. I got another option for you. And it revolves, it involves you staying in that situation and letting me work through the situation. So with that in mind, I think we pray for strength and wisdom and patience to be like Joseph, self-sacrificing. But isn't this the love that we worship, uh, the love of Christ that we worship at Christmas? Isn't it a self-sacrificial love? Didn't he leave the glory of heaven? To take on swaddling clothes in a manger? Huh? To leave glory to enter into this space and time with death and struggle and betrayal all around him? Ooh, that's self-sacrificing. But this is what Joseph did. I wonder how many carpenter jobs Joseph lost because he says, I'm staying with the woman who is pregnant, but not by me. I'm not taking my, I'm not, I'm not going over to the carpenter's house. Uh, I'll get my table fixed somewhere else, right? I wonder how many neighbors looks from the neighbors they got, self-sacrificing. Joseph paid the price because God led him to that. So may we be given the grace to demonstrate that it's, it's more important to please God and provide an example of what it means to love God faithfully than it is for my expectations to be met and for me to be comfortable within the parameter of what I think is best. So I'll wrap this up with a couple of thoughts. 
On our journey to Christmas, we're reminded to contemplate the love of our Heavenly Father for us in sending Jesus to be our Savior. Both the songs that we sang this morning reminded uh, me of a thought that I had last night. We traveled to Langhorn amidst the snowstorm, the blizzard that we had, to hear Leah sing uh, in the the Karen Christmas um, event. Leah's group just sang two songs, but there was an orchestra, there was a wind ensemble, there was two different musical groups. So we just kind of soaked it all in. And there was times where I was, I was just closing my eyes and I was listening. I know the conductor's there. The conductor was leading the different instruments to play at a different time. And at times there were just harmonies developed that were rich and soothing. The tempo would change. And, and I began to think, and I was thinking about the sermon, I was thinking that and we just sang this. We sang, you who sang creation's story, now proclaim us. And I was thinking, man, God has sung over the world, the earth. What a song of love, right? He works it. He, he conducts it. There's an opposition to him conducting a spiritual enemy, but he's still developing this song and making it work. And there are sometimes it just diminishes so quietly. It's still going. And it was in this quietness that Jesus took on flesh and became human for us. And the song continues today. It continues with you and I saying, ah, I want to be in this. I'm going to either participate and sing and make music for the Lord, or I'm not. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Good news? God loves you. He gave what is most precious so that you can know him, you can believe in him, and you can receive him to fill your heart with love and to fill it to overflowing. So I encourage you to let the love of the Most High fill your heart and direct your path as you journey to Christmas Day. It might just create a spark. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for the message and for the song that you're singing. God, you are our great uh, leader. You conduct, Lord. Help us, help us to have a willing heart and desire and a soul to want to love. Uh, Lord, that's challenged. That's challenged by our flesh, by our schedules. That's challenged, Lord, by uh, people. Hmm. And even a spiritual enemy. But Lord, help us to remember, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the Lord, in the world. And Lord, and and, uh, give us opportunities and testimonies even this week and maybe today, of where we can put this love into action. Thank you. Thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brian. As we move into our time of offering, I'd like to invite the uh, chancel choir to come up, and they're going to share with us, pass it on as the ushers come to wait on us this morning.
So this is how this might work out. We're going to invite you to, we're going to sing through it the whole way through, and then we're going to invite you to join us the second time as we sing through the song. So it's a familiar song. Only takes a spark to get a fire going. <coughs> 